Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at the latest trends in motoring and transport for serious and not so serious issues. I'm David Brown, and in this program we have news stories including Australian governance, how we make policies for things like transport, is said to be going backwards. And in our feature interviews, Ken Dobinson tells us what it's like to work in a transport department with heavy political pressures. In the first of a series, Barry Green takes us on one of his best drives, a great car in a great location. And finally, David Rowley tells us why going to Subaru as their PR manager, it was a decision helped by knowing that they had the hot WRX on their fleet and his children loved it. You can find previous programs at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast on Spotify or iTunes, or there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City Driven Media. So let's get going. Let's have the news. The Grattan Institute has come out firing with a report gridlock removing barriers to policy reform, including a comment from their founding CEO, John Daly, quote, Without change, there is little prospect for many substantial policy reforms that would increase Australian prosperity, unquote. Governments who pride themselves in cutting costs by reducing in-house skills of engineering, planning and the understanding of communities' real needs have not held back in employing PR and marketing skills to tell the world why they are doing well or that it was someone else's fault. The Grattan Report says, in part, Australia could break the gridlock in policy reform by increasing the expertise and independence of the public service, reducing the number of ministerial advisers closely tied to political parties and making them more accountable, tightening controls over political donations, campaign finance, lobbying and post-politics careers, and setting up a federal anti-corruption commission with teeth to ensure that the rules of the system are followed. Many years ago, a senior manager in a roads department was faced with a politician who was insisting on a road situation that suited his family access to the shops but created very dangerous movements for turning vehicles. The politician was adamant until the manager said, I will only do it if you put it in writing. The politician stopped asking immediately. The Audi A7 Sportsback is a large four-door passenger car with a flowing fastback style. The S7 is the same body with a twin-turbo V6. But the RS7 is a rocket ship. Same body, but powered by a four-litre twin-turbo V8 with 441 kilowatts, 800 newton metres of torque, all-wheel drive and all-wheel steering. It bleeps the engine when you start it and roars when you accelerate hard, but unlike the V8s of the past, it is smooth and quiet at idle and sedate city motoring. Audi says that it has advanced technology including special plasma-coated cylinder linings. Not something you would find in a 1969 Monaro V8. The A7 Sportsback starts at about $105,000, but the top-of-the-line RS with two and a half times the power starts at over $188,000 plus on-road costs, especially the luxury vehicle tax that takes it over $240,000 drive away. Having just tested the Nissan Patrol with a petrol V8, 
which is smooth and quiet, it was a bit of a surprise to walk up to an idling Toyota Fortuna. The rattling sound of a diesel engine was obvious on the outside, but while it is a large SUV with good off-road capabilities, on the inside it has a relatively quiet, solid ambience. In its latest model, the 2.8-litre turbo diesel delivers 150 kilowatts, up 15%, and 500 newton metres, up 11%. Fuel consumption has been reduced by 11.6% on the combined cycle, and an even bigger percentage reduction on the city cycle. Towing capacity has increased to 3,100 kilograms. Toyota pitches this between their Prado, which is made for the roughest off-road conditions, and their Kluger, which is more urban-oriented. Coming with seven seats, the Fortuna is priced from $49,000 plus on-road costs. David Rowley has been the communication and PR manager for Subaru for 21 years. When he joined, the sales of their hot WRX were going through the roof. Was the Rexy one of the reasons he came there in the first place? And it was a deciding factor for me, especially in the context of the rally program that Subaru had with the late, great Possum Bourne and all the glory that that brought to Subaru over so many years to 10 consecutive Australian rally championships. And of course, another one more recently via Molly Taylor. So did it help his image when his two children were growing up? Very funny you should mention that, David, because it was a privilege and a pleasure to occasionally bring an STI home on a weekend or something like that. The number of requests I used to get when the kids were in primary for posters and hats and stickers, you name it, I, I, I could have made a fortune selling them. And is it still the car to be seen in? You know what, even amongst our own staff to these days, people getting married, wherever possible, people want to have a couple of Rexes to take the bride and groom and the wedding party to the event and everything. And it's tremendous. You know, they really want to make a song and dance about it. Get me to the church on time. Car companies are giving their top-of-the-range utilities names such as Warrior, Wild Track and Pro 4X. Toyota has the Rugged X and now a model called the Rogue. But one dictionary defines Rogue as a dishonest or disreputable person or as an elephant or a large animal that lives away from the herd because of its savage and destructive behaviour. Well, Toyota says the Rogue does feature dark new designs for its 18-inch wheels, rear bumper and tailgate. In fairness to Toyota, the word road has, in some dictionaries, a meaning more mischievous than malicious, the lovable rogue. The rogue is a good ute with a fair bit of bling. We drove it through a new housing development and felt that it would be less likely to be driven by the tradespersons constructing the quality homes and more likely driven by the people who will live in the buildings. And that has been the news. Transport planners say that transport is a derived activity. You only do it to get somewhere to do something else. Uh, motoring revheads say the drive alone is reason enough if you have the right car. But even if you are driving to enjoy the vehicle, you still have to go through locations with history and character. 
a great drive can be much more than just the thrill of a fast car. Now, Barry Green has been a motoring journalist for many years. When he retired, he set out to travel the world and find the right roads and the right cars to savour the best of drives. And in fact, fortunately, he got his travels in just before COVID. He has now written the first in a couple of books of the best drives. This one, volume one, which has now been printed. G'day, Barry. Hi, David. Your first set of wheels were actually motorcycles. Great performances and thrills, I guess. Yeah. But is there a, a movie to heighten your passion, that what they could be? Oh, yes. I think when I was a teenager, Easy Rider came out. <laughs> and uh, it went on to be, of course, a, a, one of the great cult movies of our times. Who couldn't help but be influenced by this journey of discovery? Even if it was sort of driven by drugs and alcohol and all other sort of wayward behaviour, but yeah, it certainly caught my imagination as a 17-year-old. Captain America and Billy were not really mechanically minded, were they? And I think Harley-Davidson's were not the focus of technology for precision driving. Yet, isn't that the point, though, that it was a lifestyle? Oh, for sure. I mean, could you think of anything uh, less practical to go on a desert ride across the US? You know, like you've got these little <laughs> peanut uh, tank Harleys and, you know, the seating position, the... Uh, Everything about it was just Hollywood, wasn't it? Too many old people, I think, denigrate the younger generation for being wasteful and doing conspicuous consumption. We were a generation that deified the Harley Davidson. I don't think we can throw stones, can we? Well, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about the places you went through, and there was one where I think the car was one of the most engaging parts. Let's start with that. Perhaps some later talks will be, and some later subjects might be a little bit more about the people. But I refer to the 23 kilometres of the Cheddar Gorge in Somerset, England. What was the car? Ah, uh, yeah, well, uh, I certainly had the wheels for that job. It was a TVR Tuscan S. TVR uh, is no longer with us, unfortunately, um, but it was a uh, pretty bespoke, British brand in the mould of, say, Morgan and uh, Marcos, those sort of brands. They were renowned for massive power to weight in as much as the the frames, the chassis were, uh, were alloy and the uh, bodywork was fibreglass, so you got a light, light weight. And they used to usually put in them some thumping big straight six engines or V8s. So you had this great power to weight ratio, but the thing about them was very few, certainly the one I drove, even though it was an early 2000 model, didn't have any driver assist. <laughs> By that I mean any safety net, uh, like the simple things like ABS and uh, traction control and uh, electronic steering. So you borrowed it from a mate. Did he give you any advice? He certainly did. He said, uh, now this is a bloke that used to take it across from England to Spa a great racetrack in Belgium and do track days. And he said to me, take it easy on roundabouts if it's wet. I've lost it there. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> anyone who's intimate with a car to that degree, if he can lose it, then, then a mug from Australia surely can. It has the looks of a very high-end sports car, long bonnet, engine up the front, but just very distinct in its own way. Did it turn heads? Oh, it certainly did simply because there weren't that many of them made. So even in England, you know, they, they did turn heads because of uh, they were unusual. And I thought they were attractive, you know. Classic coupe, in this case it was a Targa roof, but, um, yeah, classic 
coupe shape. And the note, of course, this thing had massive big, what they call carbon can exhaust pipes. It used to really kick kick out a row, I tell you. <laughs> Did you like the looks? Because 2003, I think, was the model, yet it used the technology that was developing. It had very small headlights, three, I think, on each side. Yeah. But they were small. Did you like the look of that? Oh, yeah, it's sort of like three torches mm. embedded in the front guards, you know. I mean, that for a start got your attention. Another little idiosyncrasy it had was to enter the two doors, you actually pressed a little button under the uh, external rear vision mirrors, and that used to unlock the door. So there were, it just made for a blemish-free uh, external door panel, like there were no, no things like... Handles or that. <laughs> extrusions like door handles. You defined it as brimming with intent. Oh, yeah. What did you mean by that? Oh, ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> you better be up for it. And, and I love that because I found that a lot of cars, probably, you know, you and I probably drive something like 100 cars a year at times. And it's very easy to get blase about cars, particularly the cars that do everything for you. But this one, you know, it really required you to be up with the car or even ahead of it. How well did you bond with the car? Well, that's the thing. Like, I got back and a colleague at work, he um, he asked me how the trip went. And I drove something like 16 different cars that on that particular trip. And they were all, like, enthusiast-type cars. And one I had, what would you say, great expectations of, and, and it delivered, was the Morgan three-wheeler. <laughs> but I found I was talking more about this TVR than I was the Morgan. And, and this colleague said... I can really see how that's bitten you, you know, and, and, it, and he was right. Like, I I was thinking out ways of importing one and, and going out, you know, to attract uh, one of our local tracks and, you know, scaring the hell out of the Porsche 911s, you know. <laughs> that's a lovely chat, Barry. Thank you very much for your time. That's good. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, David. And that was Barry Green, the author of Best Drives, Volume 1. Now, COVID has made it difficult to distribute to bookshops at the moment. It's valued at less than $60. So if you're interested in getting a copy, you can send Barry an email at green, G-R-E-E-N-B-W, shorts for Barry Williams, 1953 at bigpond.com. Or you can send it through the contact link on drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. As we mentioned in the news, the Grattan Institute has just released a report titled Gridlock Removing Barriers to Policy Reform. It was very critical of systemic problems in government, including the reduction of expertise and independence of the public service, too many ministerial advisers closely tied to political parties, a lack of control of political donations, campaign finance, lobbying and post-politic careers and an absence also of a federal anti-corruption commission with teeth. Is there a strong basis for their comments, and what should we do about it? Ken Dobinson was a senior executive in what was then the Department of Main Roads in New South Wales. Good day, Ken. Hello, David. 
how much time or of your time when you worked in government was spent dealing with politics rather than technology? In the latter, very, very latter years in the, uh, as a member of the board, uh, I, I would say probably 50% was dealing with political issues at the time, but, but that was the way forward, no objection to that. And uh, the other 50%, uh, or of the other 50%, probably 30% uh, was spent on human resources dealing with staff problems. So technology was a very low level at that stage. But, of course, in previous years, 10 years earlier, it was 90% technology. It got worse. As you rise up the scale, the less you find you can concentrate on, you know, on technology and introducing new concepts and things, and you find you get more involved with the political situations because you have to uh, persuade and give the Minister of the Day the ammunition to push through some new policy uh, that you want, want applied. It is a case that while the public service is there to implement government policy, it's also very critically there to try and give, to, well, not try, but to give advice on the sensibility of the thoughts that come into politicians' minds. Exactly. And you've got to get the... The politician might have a, a, a very, very clever idea presented to him, but till, until it's tested by the people who understand the full impact of it, he's, he, it's a very, very dangerous move to start and move and adopt the new policy. You might find the new policy or the new project doesn't stack up. And once the government's committed to it, of course, it's got to follow through. And that's, that's usually, in many cases, a disaster. Does that emphasise the point of how important it is to have technical advice before they make public statements? Absolutely. Many, many people in more recent years, which I consider have been, a, like the Grattan report says, has been a major, major decline in the performance of government with new policies. And, you know, unless you make, well, the common word today is, particularly with projects, where's the business case? If you haven't got a business case that shows it's going to work, look forward to huge over-expenditures. And we've had some very, very good examples in transport in recent, in recent years in this area, you know, going back some years with... Uh, you know, the Cross City Tunnel was a classic that went over that sh sh because they had the wrong answer, and uh, and and probably in recent times we're still building. We built the tram in the city that ran over. We're building, still building the West Connex that looks like it's skyrocketing in cost. And you know, that's if you don't do your business case first and know what your the benefits are going to be compared to the costs and have real costs by, prepared by people who are doing this sort of thing every day, you can look forward to things not going quite right in government or to the other end, a complete disaster. In managing technical people, engineers and uh, people who were involved, and I think you particularly were there when the electronic revolution in traffic signal design and other cases was really starting to flow, was there occasionally discouragement at the forces of politics over the forces of productive improvement? Quite often. And that's when the two parties need to come together. I mean, the... Uh, one minister said to me uh, many years ago when I start to explain the technology to him, 
he's just said to me, that's your problem and make sure you get it bloody right. Leave the politics to me. And when they get, the two get into conflict, we sit down and thrash it out. That's the way to get success on both sides of those, that picture, both from the bureaucracy who's giving the advice and the minister who's delivering the project. The Grattan report triggers even more conversation, but they do talk about things such as being transparent and being accountable and ways to do that. Let's hope that we can try and find out more specific what does it look like when it's working types of approaches to it. Ken, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks, David. And that was Ken Dobinson, formerly an executive for a road department in New South Wales. The full interview can be found at drivenmedia.com.au. You're listening to Overdrive. Jeep Wrangler Rubicon is back. In the short wheelbase format, the two-door Jeep Wrangler Rubicon takes a permanent position in the latest Wrangler lineup and is part of the 2021 range updates. You will be able to notice it as most will be in the exclusive Gecko Green colour. There are a few vehicles as capable off-road as a short wheelbase Wrangler Rubicon with great approach, ramp over and departure angles, lightweight, electronic sway bar disconnect, rock track active on-demand 4x4 system, an incredibly low 77 to 1 crawl ratio, true lock front and rear locking differentials and heavy duty rock rails. Inside the Rubicon benefits from the Rubicon Luxury Package. This includes standard leather trim seats, premium soft touch door trim panel, standard heated front seats and heated steering wheel for those cold mornings. Other standard features include the Uconnect 8.5 inch touchscreen display, the satellite navigation, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto and a 7 inch driver information display. The Jeep Wrangler is now available for order starting at 61750 plus the usual costs. I'm Rob Fraser. This is Overdrive across Australia. COVID has meant that in some cases we're not being able to return the press car that we usually have for a week. Unfortunately, I've had to keep the Subaru WRX STI for several weeks. Unfortunately for those who were to get it, but great for me. David Rowley is the National Corporate Affairs Manager for Subaru Australia. Good day, David. Hello, David. How are you? Very well, thank you. Sorry that I've had to have the STI for a while. Oh, look, I'm glad it's in safe hands, and it's just a pity that you can't get the full enjoyment out of it on the open road at the moment, which is a frustration for all of us. David, this is your year of the 21st anniversary. It certainly is. I'm I'm now in my 22nd year at Subaru, so some might rather unkindly dub me a dinosaur these days, but I'm happy to wear that tag. How did you feel at first when you came to Subaru? Did uh, having a company with the WRX, did that help the decision? It did, David. In fact, that car, it, it, I guess it's what's termed in the industry a bit of a halo car. And at that time, when I joined, uh, right at the start of 2000, of course, that first generation Rex was going through the roof sales-wise, and it brought a whole new audience to Subaru. In fact, it's probably fair to say that that car established that so-called pocket rocket club, of which there went on to be many members. And it was a deciding factor for me, especially in the context of the rally program that Subaru had with the late great Possum Bourne and all the glory that that 
uh, brought to Subaru over uh, so many years to 10 consecutive Australian Rally Championships. And, of course, another one more recently via Molly Taylor. Well, we'd come out of the period of the V8s, perhaps the big, lumpy Detroit iron type of uh, motor. But this was really a car, a, a, you know, and in all fairness, along with the Evo as well, in rallying that showed that small nimbleness and good technology was as much fun as anything. Yeah, very much. And and that fun factor which you hint at there, David, has always been the key to WRX's success. And pretty much what you see on the rally stages even to this day with a lot of local enthusiasts, it's very close to the to the road car. And I, I think that's part of the uh, the special ingredients of, of WRX, that what you see in the showroom is very close to what you can rally if you want, certainly in terms of the STI. I used to rally, but a little before that, and uh, perhaps not with quite the budget, and so it was Datsun 1600s. You know, I still get into your WRX, and I get a rush of mine. No, I think I think it's more a rush of the soul that reminds me of the sitting in a car which clearly had performance, but didn't have to have bulk about it. Yeah, very much so. The, the, I think that's part of the key to it, David, is the, the simplicity of the car, really, particularly in that original incarnation from about 94, where, let's be honest, it wasn't the most sophisticated car in terms of the interior presentation or anything like that, and it was probably uh, a little more understated in those days. And, and that's what made the surprise factor when people got behind the wheel and went, wow, what is, what is the rush? What is happening here? And it almost became a word of mouth thing that uh, enthusiasts were telling their mates about it. And it became a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy from our point of view. David, do you have children? I do. I've, I've got a boy and a girl. At what age and when did they first realize that their dad or did they boast to their school colleagues that their dad owned wrx's oh uh, it's very funny you should mention that david because i i well it was a privilege and a pleasure to occasionally bring an sti home on a weekend or something like that because i knew the kids Loved the uh, acceleration, within legal limits, of course, David. But you were, of course, top of the pops as far as a dad was concerned. I always had the parameter of the Matthew Brown, will you drive me to school in that car factor. Absolutely, yeah. No matter how much I did or didn't like the look of a car, it was that measurement that was really quite important to talk about its street cred. You know what, even, even amongst our own staff to these days, people getting married, wherever possible, people want to have a couple of Rexes to take the bride and groom and the wedding party to the event and everything. And it is tremendous. You know, they really want to make a song and dance about it. <laughs> well, let's get me to the church on time, isn't it? Is there a new model coming out? There is, yes. In fact, I think that we've been teasing this week out of uh, Subaru of America, actually, that the uh, next generation Rex will be unveiled at New York Auto, Auto Show next month. We're probably looking at a early 2022 launch, um, probably first quarter or maybe a bit into April. But yeah, we can't wait to get it. And uh, we're hoping to have a few, few surprises and uh, little teaser bits in between as well. 
David, thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much for your interest, David. We'll talk soon. That's David Rowley, who is the Corporate Affairs Manager for Subaru Australia, a man who has lived and breathed Subarus and and that extra little boost of WRXs and with the SDI as well over more than 21 years. You're listening to Overdrive. Fiat has updated its stylish 500 lineup, including the addition of the Dolce Vita model in both hatchback and convertible formats. The Fiat 500 is almost an enigma in today's world, a throwback to another world of carefree, top-down motoring through the windy streets of Italy, alongside the magical blue seas of the Amalfi Coast. Many years ago I did exactly that, but here in Sydney the closest I have got to that was a drive up Palm Beach along the ocean road for some fish and chips. And that was enough to convince me that the Fiat 500 is stylish, different and simply fun to drive. That was a few years ago and I'm eagerly looking forward to driving the latest updated model and doing it again. Italy would be better though. Ideally suited for two people and as an urban runabout, the Fiat 500 is as much about style as it is function in a world that sometimes can produce boring cars. Price from a touch under $19,000 through to $25,500 plus the usual costs, it's well equipped and ideal for those buyers that want more than simple transport. They want personality in their transport. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Barry Green, Ken Dobinson, David Rowley, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or in hear previous programs as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>